uh, this morning we get to celebrate with uh, three sisters in Christ who are taking that next step of baptism. And so we love Baptism Day. Stella, you can come out. Uh, we love Baptism Day at Crosspoint because that reminds us of uh, the grace of God, that the grace of God is continually changing lives and transforming lives, not only those of us uh, who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, but as well as other siblings in the family of God. And so we love that to see people taking that next step. And I'll let Stella share her testimony. Everyone, my name is Stella, and I am 11 years old. There are a lot of things that made me realize I want Jesus in my life. I know I am a sinner, and I have done many things, like being disrespectful of my parents, and have said hurtful things to people that I love that I didn't mean. When I did those things, I felt mad at myself, and that's not how I want to feel. Also, last year, my grandpa died. He was a pastor. It made me sad that he wasn't going to be with us anymore, but I was so happy that he was in heaven. I grew up here at Crosspoint learning about Jesus ever since I was a baby. But when I went to ice camp last night, and I had learned a lot and grew closer to God. There, we learned how to truly encounter Jesus, and it made me realize that I want to because I didn't end my life. My favorite Bible verse is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know that God will be with me wherever I go. God has, God has done many things for me. God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. God has changed my life in many ways. God has made me want to be a better person. Whenever I read the Bible and see what amazing things he's done for us, for example, dying on the cross for our sins, so we can have eternal life. I'm to cherish this and trust him in anyone always. Thank you for sharing. Stella, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today? Yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is uh, Andrea Kemp. Um, I have prayed about this day for several months, and I am so excited to move forward and grow my faith. During my younger years, I was raised as an apostolic Pentecostal and was baptized at the age of four years old. Although there was pictures of this, I do not remember it. During my early years, or my early teen year, teenage years, I walked a very hard road and was kicked out of my home at the age of 16 due to the differing religious beliefs. I then moved in with my grandparents, and I pretty much fell off the deep end, longing to feel loved. I met a guy and got married to him at the age of 18. He made me feel loved in the moment, and this marriage ended up turning into a very abusive marriage that left me in a hospital bed after hospital bed, and I lost my faith in God. I often question, why God, why me? We were married for about a year and six months when he told me he was leaving me for someone else and was filing for a divorce. Deep down, I found relief as I could never file for the divorce I so desperately wanted. I found freedom, but I soon quickly found a grief. I had just had our son, Cade. As you may know, he's kind of the crazy one that runs around here. <laughs> and um, was already struggling with postpartum depression due to affairs and my husband never coming home. My depression led to an attempted suicide with my son sitting in a car, seat, a car seat on the bathroom floor next to me. I knew I loved Kate and wanted to be his mama forever, but I felt broken because I would raise him in a broken home, and he, had also, and he would also soon receive the same abuse that I went through, and I felt guilty. 
After getting out of the hospital in 2018, I told myself I needed Jesus. I needed the love that would fill the void. This is when I feel that I completely committed my life to the Lord. While I was struggling with anxiety and depression due to trials and court hearings, I am no longer on medication for it. While my son still must endure a home that is not filled with Jesus or love, he comes home to us and we, alongside the Lord, will fill that void. I am still growing my faith daily and I strive to be the best Christian I can be and the best example I can be for my son. However, I am a sinner saved by grace. The Lord has changed my life for the better. I have found peace in my divorce and my abuser and I mended a relationship with my parents. I found a hope again, and I'm happily married to someone that loves me and my son, and I found a church to call home forever. The grace of God is sweet and good, isn't it? He is making all things new, not just in eternity, but now. And to see your family tree being reformed in, in Christ and oaks of righteousness growing up in you and Bryant and Cade, that's our prayer. And it's a joy and a sweet gift to be able to celebrate with you. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Linda, you want to come out? This is Linda Mayotte. Hi, Mom. Surprise. <laughs> all right, bear with me, please. Good morning. My name is Linda Mayotte. I grew up all my life in Eureka and would attend church with my mother in, at Eureka Christian Church. That is where the start of my love for God began. Marvin Cheney was the minister at Eureka Christian Church, a dear sweet man, sorry, a dear sweet man who would share the love and joy of God to everyone. He was an inspiring man. I knew I wanted to be like him someday. I decided the first thing I needed to do was to grow my faith in God. Oh, I'm shaking so bad, sorry. Shortly after that, I was baptized. Over the years, life had changed and my faith fell apart. One day, a childhood friend invited me to church in Morton. I didn't know what to expect, but it was a life changer. I found God again. The youth leaders were Jeff and Angie Hextrom, and they were truly amazing and understanding. Sadly, once again, life had changed. College life and partying was more important in my life at the time. Then I found my wonderful husband. Josh and I had a hard marriage. In the short 10 years of us being engaged and married, we said goodbye to one miscarriage, three uncles, two grandparents, and my father. Then our sweet middle son, Levi, just, at the, just under two years old, was diagnosed with cancer. <sighs> Sorry. <sighs> um, where was I? 
um, I began to get mad at God more and more as Levi's ba battle went on. I kept trying to tell myself, God is good, and he has a plan for me, but still why? Today, Levi is six and a half years cancer-free, and I thank God every day. I knew after that I needed to grow closer to God. I wanted to show my children who God was and how he is to be so important to, in their lives. There is always tomorrow, I thought, and we have enough time. I was wrong. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, so you must act today. In June 2020, we found out my husband had cancer. I thought, again, really? But I decided not to get mad at God this time, but to have faith in him. I started to come to church more often. Here at Cross Point, I found God once again. I found love, support, friendship, and hope. I knew I was going to be a single parent someday, and I wanted to be the best parent, role model, friend I could ever be to my kids. I want to make my husband proud of me and how I raised our boys. Before I could do that for them, I knew I had to come back to the Lord. Thank you, Crosspoint, for helping me with that. I am renewing my faith to God today. Today I will trust in the Lord with all my heart and soul. I will worship his name and I will believe in him and his word. The 20th will be a struggle for me, my boys, our family, and friends, as it marks six months that Josh has left the side of heaven. I have prayed and prayed that Josh would find his way to our Lord. I'm happy, I am so happy to know that my journey of finding God again helped Josh find God for the first time, just in time. And most of you all were able to see that when he said he wanted to come to church with us for the first time. You all welcomed him with his arms, or with open arms and hearts, and I thank you all. Over the past months, I have struggled wondering and crying, but I always come back to God loves me, and I will make it. God loves my kids, and we will make it because we trust in the Lord God. Three years ago, my family would have not thought about praying at dinner. Shoot, we might not even sat at the table together at, for dinner. But today, my family prays all the time. We eat together, and most importantly, we worship together. I would never thought Jet would be so excited to come to church or even drive by it. I would never have thought a Levi would come out of his little shell like he does once we are here. And I for sure didn't think Peyton, wherever you are, would pass up youth group or youth camp to volunteer in Sun Chasers. Or, and let me add, he gets upset when he's not, it's not his turn. Or he'd rather help with the snow removal or ask how else he can help. Life is has not been easy for me, and I know it will keep being hard, but I know I will have our Lord God walking right beside me and to depend on.
So Second uh, Corinthians says that our God is a God of all comfort, and He enables, He comforts His kids so that siblings in the family of God might comfort one another, and not just empathize but strengthen. And so it is a joy to be able to be alongside you in a church family. This church family dearly loves you. strengthen you in the faith and to partner with you as you make disciples at home and that will continue in the months ahead we dearly love you and and what i love about this is that her sister in christ lacy is going to baptize her because it's not just pastor elder who baptizes it's the the gospel is highly relational church it's one anothering it's parent to child, next generation to the next generation. It's brother, sister in the family of God. And so it is sweet to see Lacey be able to baptize you as you walk by faith together. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? pray, and then uh, some chasers, you guys can head back to class. Father God, uh, thank you that your grace is still continually transforming uh, lives, bringing about salvation, bringing about growth in Christ. God, is a, it is a sweet gift to gather with the family of God and to, and to celebrate you and to remember you and to... Uh, give thanks for your, your grace and goodness in our lives and in the lives of sisters in the family of God who we love and who we pray for. I pray that you would continue to demonstrate your faithfulness in the lives of Stella and Andrea and Linda in their households and I pray your blessing upon their lives. May you make their path straight as they trust in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, as the kids are going back, uh, if you want to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be in chapter 22 today, looking at verses 24 through, uh, through 30. I'm going to read that passage, and then, we'll, and then we'll get into it. In the CSB translation, Luke 22, 24 through 30, then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatness, greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It's not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves, Jesus says. You are those who stood by me in my trials, I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Author and uh, Pastor John Maxwell says that everything rises and falls on leadership, but knowing how to lead is only half the battle. He says understanding leadership and actually leading are two different activities. 
Today in this passage, we get an opportunity to learn from Jesus, who was the greatest leader in all of history, and it's not even close. Under his supernatural leadership, a movement that began with 12 in one tiny little region of the world has grown to billions of disciples around this world. A spirit-empowered movement that has endured and grown for nearly 2,000 years. And every day, people from diverse tribes, tongues, and nations are being brought into the family of faith. Millions of local churches, outposts, if you will, for kingdom ministry and mission are all over this world. New ones popping up, new ones being planted, Crosspoint being an example of this, but, but local out, outposts for ministry and mission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. So today, we get to grow in our understanding of leadership and greatness according to Jesus so that we might not just grow in the understanding, but might actually apply it and live it. Jesus, the greatest leader of all time. And it's vital that we, the people of God, grow in this no matter where we serve and lead, at home, at work, at schools, in the local church, in community, in, in government, in neighborhoods. We need Christ-like servant leaders in all these realms of life. And this is not just for the 18 and up crowd. This is for you students as well. Wherever the Lord has placed you, whatever home you call home, whatever friend group you call friends, schools, and so forth. As I consider the leadership landscape in this, uh, as I look at the nation, as I look at the world, I have three things I'm noticing. On one hand, we are continually confronted with a frustrating reminder that leaders are prone to being self-obsessed, self-absorbed, and self-centered. I think you get the point. And leaders who are focused on themselves and the glory of self will notoriously lead others including themselves, to places of division and destruction. And I'm not just talking about leaders of government. Self-centered leadership in the home, in the church, in the workplace is equally destructive. I'm also noticing and in deeply, and in deeply encouraged by leaders who I see desiring to serve the Lord and glorify the Lord. I see this in homes. I see this in parents. I see this in workplaces where disciples of Jesus are, are seeking to worship well in the workplace. I also see this in the local church. It is a sweet gift for me as a pastor to be able to be alongside the staff and elders and various leaders around this church. I don't pursue this call in a begrudging obedience, but I'm able to be alongside friends and family members. I'm deeply encouraged by their way of life in Christ, their desire to love people and love the Lord. I also see this in fellow pastors that I'm friends with, guys who are trying to shepherd their churches well and reflect the chief shepherd, Jesus, guys who the past couple of years have just faithfully kept their hand to the plow. When everything else was shaking, just continually planting and watering, keeping their hand to the plow, keeping their eyes forward, being prayerful in that. It is a joy to call brothers in Christ in the greater kingdom, friends and co-laborers in the gospel. Finally, the, last, uh, the other area of leadership that I'm noticing, I probably notice most, that I'm confronted with the most is me, my leadership. And just like as I look at the world, I say, yeah, there's discouraging, there's encouraging. Uh, same thing happens when I look in the mirror. There's encouraging and yeah, there's discouraging. There's, there's things and areas that I'm asking the Lord to grow me in. 
So this morning, while our minds will naturally drift to looking at this passage through an outward lens, which isn't bad, we, we need to be praying that more Christ-like servant leaders would be raised up in all these realms of life. But let us also humbly ask the Lord to shape and transform us by His grace. The famous story is told in the early 1900s, the Times, the newspaper in London wrote a, or asked a question, posed a question to several prominent authors. And the question was, what is wrong with the world today? Maybe you've asked this yourself. And G.K. Chesterton, a Christ follower, he simply replied with this. It was a very short letter. Reply back to the Times, he simply said, Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world? I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. I pray that more Christ followers would have that kind of attitude. That while we pray for the Lord to be at work in the world, let's not skip over the Lord being at work in our own hearts, bringing about repentance. So as the Spirit leads us this morning with our Bibles open, our hearts open, let's repent. Let's reorient to what Jesus teaches us about leadership and greatness in the kingdom and whatever roles we have, so that we might glorify Him more and more. In this short teaching, Jesus is contrasting worldly leadership with godly leadership. And the two are radically different because they're living for two different kingdoms, two different agendas, the glory of self and stuff of this earth versus the glory of our Savior Jesus. And Jesus is trying to change the way His disciples then and now think about greatness and leadership. So to understand the context where this teaching falls, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room enjoying a Passover meal together. And when they leave the upper room, they will not share in such a personal, quiet moment like this until after the resurrection. So in this upper room, before the the chaos of betrayal and arrest and death, Jesus is continually taking this opportunity to teach and prepare his disciples. Because this group of leaders and others who will join them will set the tone on what kingdom leadership looks like and how it acts and believes and thinks and lives. And while Luke doesn't record it here, John 13 does. And we see that in this upper room, amongst all this teaching, what also happens is Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth takes the position of a servant who serves and serves in the most humblest of ways. What we don't know is where the foot washing happened. Did it happen before, during, or after this particular teaching? What we do know is that no matter where it happened, the disciples were not prone to associate kingdom greatness with humble service. Instead, they were prone to argue about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. This isn't the first time they will have this debate. They have been near Jesus for three years. They've seen His character on display. They've seen Him say that he is that the messiah has to suffer they've heard and seen him live this life of humble service feeding others ministering to others living in poverty with no real home to call home and yet here they are arguing about who will be the greatest so reading in luke 22 a couple verses back in in 14 When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me, for the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they, the disciples, began to argue among themselves which of them it could be and who was going to do it. So I'm going to suffer. I'm going to give up my body. My blood's going to be poured out. I want you to remember my sacrifice through these symbols of bread and wine. I'm going to be betrayed. Verse 24, then a dispute also rose among them about who should be considered the greatest. What? That's the subject that you land on in that context? Particularly, let's say their, their feet have already been washed. Who of us is going to be the greatest, guys? Who should be considered the greatest? Who has the best credentials? Who's going to sit in the highest seat? That should warn us. Because we don't relate to Christ in this moment. We relate to the disciples in this story. That should warn us how easy and susceptible disciples of Jesus were then and now, including you and me, to drift towards self-obsessed living and leading. Is it not what happens sometimes in marriages that experience conflict at the root of the debate, whether said or unsaid, is who should serve the other person? Who's actually greater? Eh, I think I'm greater, so I'm going to wait on that person to go first. Isn't that not at the root of often any sort of interpersonal conflict sometimes? Serve me! I'll wait on you. Not just marriage, but in every interpersonal kind of relationship. The disciples seem to quickly move from who is the betrayer to turning inward to themselves and having this dispute of self-importance. In a sense, they move from this argument of, about who's the worst to who's the best. Who will serve the highest call or who, the highest office in the kingdom of Jesus? And so to help them, help teach them on what leadership in the kingdom looks like, Jesus wants to draw this contrast between worldly and godly leaders from what leadership looks like in the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God that believers are brought into both here and eternity, verse 25. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. Jesus is talking about earthly kings and leaders and how they function as leaders. And how they function as leaders is oriented to the kingdom they live for, the here and now, this age, and this kingdom this world is directed toward the glory of self and sin. So the way this world determines greatness is through worldly means. The more money you make, the greater you are. The more influence or power you have, the greater you are. The more prominence you have, the greater you are. The more followers you have, the greater you are. And so worldly leadership, as Jesus says here, for example, is prone to the lording of authority, prone to domineering, dictating, overbearing leadership. And Jesus also says these leaders have themselves called benefactors. Benefactor was a, a title given to those who loved to rule with this grand display of earthly splendor and luxury. And notice that Jesus says they have themselves called this. So these leaders are like, go ahead, call me. Call me benefactor. Go ahead, honor me. Respect me. Whether I'm respectable or honorable, go ahead. I have, I have the role. So go ahead and Title me that. And so these leaders demand credit given to them, whether it was something they did or not. And when something went bad, you think they humbly owned that? Of course not. They find someone else to blame. 
I know it's difficult to imagine a system like this, but try in your creative minds to do it. I'll show you who to blame. So heaven forbid they, hum- they humble themselves and admit fault or weakness. Such a self-centered system of leadership was rampant with injustice, oppression, and bribery. It was a broken system of leadership that was void of freedom, love, or care for the other because the domineering benefactor sat in the middle. It was all about that leader. It was all about their kingdom, their name, their good. Verse 26, it is not to be like that among you, Jesus says. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should be, become like the youngest and whoever leads like the, like the one serving. It is not to be like that among you, Jesus says. You and me, His disciples, it's not to be like that among us. Why? Because we're followers of Christ and Jesus declared that He came to serve, not to be served. And so we are new creations in Christ and our desire is to be more like Him. When, he, when we came to faith in Christ, we repented of and turned from sin and self because we come to the realization, thanks to the Holy Spirit, that a life lived for sin and self ends itself in destruction. And the good news of Jesus is that we could be saved from eternal destruction and be given new life, eternal life. He died so that through faith alone in Him, we might live in and for Him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says to us, And He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So leadership that is directed toward the glory of sin and self is not to characterize the disciples of Jesus. On the contrary, he says, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. Jesus says greatness is seen through lowering yourself. Lowering yourself. He compares it to the youngest. And at the time, the youngest were not favored or esteemed by society. In Luke 9, a similar argument broke out among the disciples. Jesus breaks out the same illustration. Verses 46 through 48, an argument started among them about who was the greatest of them. But Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one is great. Jesus points the hearts of the disciples who are prone to navel gaze and beat their own chest and says, look at the child. Look at the child. And in doing so, be reminded that as you lead, reject an attitude of entitlement that the benefactors had. Instead, turn toward the Lord. Humbly serve. Repent from this attitude of, I got to be recognized. I got to be esteemed. Because your identity as a leader is not for the praise of others, but for the praise of the one who by by grace alone has brought you near and made you his own. In this teaching, Jesus is not abolishing leadership or authority. He is not anti-leader. Instead, he's redefining leadership according to the kingdom of God. The scriptures reveal that there is authority in home and government and church, especially When you look at the New Testament, emphasizing as it relates to leadership, its emphasis is on character. For instance, husbands, you're the spiritual leader in the home, but that shouldn't produce domineering leadership, but servant, sacrificial, Christ-like 
servant leadership, going to bed exhausted because you have spent yourself for the sake of others. Elders, shepherds in the church, there's authority. But it shouldn't produce domineering leadership. First Peter 5 specifically says that. You're called to lead and oversee, but again, not through self-righteous, domineering attitude, but humbling yourself before the chief shepherd. Under shepherd, chief shepherd. So your role is to serve. Your role is to lead and model what it looks like to follow Christ. Loved ones, may the Lord raise up Christ-like servant leaders in all these realms of life, home, churches, government, our communities, our schools. Brothers and sisters who will lead and serve for the glory of the one who died and rose again for them and for the good of those who they lead and not for the good of self. Jesus goes on, verse 27, For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. In the world, the, the one who sits at the table and is served is the one who is esteemed and seen as great. And we get that. I have a friend. She loves to choose restaurants thinking, I want to be served. I don't want to go to a counter. I don't want to make my own food. I don't want to buy the steak and make it there. I want to be served. I want to sit at the table, right? I still remember the first time I sat at a restaurant and at some point I'm like, what are they doing? Oh, they're scraping away my crumbs, right? I've left a, like a demolished bread thing in front of me and they're like, yeah, do that. Do that. Take away my crumbs. Take away the sin of my life, right? One time I, I went to a steakhouse in Dallas prior to ministry on what's known as per diem, which is per awesome, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's Latin or not, but I remember ordering whatever I wanted to order. Steak gets placed in front of me. I'm like, thanks. And I start looking at it, and I seem like there's this light on my steak, like, Oh, he's got a flashlight. He wants me to check the cook on my steak. Sure, yeah, uh, it's great, yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm a king, yeah. <laughs> like Brian Regan, bring me a goblet of something cool and refreshing, please, yes. Right? We love those. But Jesus, again, reminds us his disciples are to live and lead differently and follow in his life's pattern, which, uh, which is of service, because in his kingdom, greatness is found through serving, not through sitting through activity, not passivity. Through, I'll go to you, not you come to me. I'll go first, I won't wait on you. This is a, an anti-benefactor leadership. Are you in a position of leadership or influence? The answer is yes. Someone's following you. Whether informally or formally, someone's following you. Don't settle for a sitting posture. Don't settle for a I'll wait on you posture. Pursue a life of service. Jesus is saying positions of power are to be in positions of service. And he shows that through the washing of the feet in the upper room, the one with all authority is not just willing to serve, but actually serves. Doesn't just talk about it in theory, actually does it. Verse 28, Jesus says to his disciples, you are those who stood by me in my trials. The disciples were with him. They endured with him. They stayed with him in all these plots of him potentially being killed or when the crowds were fickle and they would swing against him. They didn't run away when the lifestyle was not glamorous or financial funds were not flowing or they didn't know where they were going to sleep that night. 
They continued with him in trial in the face of pressure, rejection, and and opposition. They stood with Jesus. In John 6, after a a bunch of other disciples of Jesus had started grumbling, saying, "Eh, this teaching of Jesus is too hard, too much surrender, too much service, if you will. And, And verse 66 says, many of these disciples turned back and no longer accompanied Christ. And then verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? What a question. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The disciples stood by him in trials. They need this exhortation now because in the coming hours, they will scatter in fear with arrest, beatings, and death. They need this reminder now that when the road is marked by persecution in the book of Acts, to remain steady, to remain faithful, to continue to abide in the Lord, trust in the Spirit that has been given to them. And in Acts, we see them do that, living out the commission to go and make disciples to all nations because they're not trusting in themselves, but in the Lord, in the Spirit that is empowering them. Servant leaders in the kingdom don't settle for chasing shiny things. Rather, they endure, they remain steadfast. Why? Because that's what Jesus did, including here as the cross of Calvary is approaching. And when servant leaders are weary and weak, they know His grace is sufficient, His power made perfect in our weakness. In the midst of their inability, they are learning dependence and the Lord's supernatural ability. And as a result, the Lord is the one who gets the glory. I don't know who needs to hear this, I trust some of you do, I know I do, and it's this, keep your hand to the plow. Keep your hand to the plow in whatever field the Lord has providentially placed you into. Don't look back at shiny things. The shiny things are not worth it. They're not worth it. They're not worth your time, your attention, your affection. That's what the benefactors live for. We live for the risen King who has called us to be found faithful in the fields to keep planting and watering seeds of the gospel, seeds of truth and grace in the fields that He's placed us into. And He will cause the growth. Eternal reward is promised to God's co-workers according to 1 Corinthians 3. And God is the one who gets the glory now and into eternity. Verses 29 and 30. He points His disciples even further down the road. An eternal view, I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The disciples around this table with Jesus have sacrificed much to follow Him. And Jesus wants to remind them, faithfulness to the Lord doesn't go without reward. An eternal banquet and celebration and joy is coming for those who trust in the Lord, who join Him in this kingdom work here in this age, wherever He has providentially placed us. Notice that in verse 30, it says, Jesus says, my table, my kingdom. He has the authority. He has the authority to speak these truths and make these promises. And so we serve and lead, commissioned by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, lavishly loved and accepted by the Father. So on the days that you're prone to give up or give in, live and lead in light of eternity, this future reality that belongs to all members of His body. 
May the people of God, sons and daughters of the Father, co-heirs with Christ, members of His kingdom, lead through a posture and a life of humble service. We've been made new in Christ, so let us live for the one who came to be came to serve, not to be served, for the one who came as the suffering servant who gave of his life so that we could receive eternal life and then live for his purpose, his mission, his glory. May the Lord raise up Christ-like servant leaders in all these realms of life, home, church, business, government, community, schools, Sons and daughters of the King who grow in this growing dependence upon Him, who empowered by the Spirit, transformed by His grace, live lives marked by humility and not haughtiness, an eagerness to serve and not an entitlement to be served, other-oriented activity and not self-centered passivity, a willingness to go low and not an inclination to lord over and patient and prayerful endurance that holds fast to the Lord because ultimately He holds fast to us by His grace, assured in that, safe in that, secure in that. He who calls us is faithful, brothers and sisters, and by His sufficient grace may we follow in the path of Christ as we lead, as we serve, for that's where true God-glorifying kingdom greatness is found. Let's stand up. We're going to sing one last song here as we, as we close. And so we're going to give our offerings and tithes during this time as well. Be reminded of the good and the graciousness of our Lord, Father God. I, I pray that we would worship you well as a way of life. Not only in our giving, but in our living and in our leading this week. Thank you for setting the example on what greatness and leadership looks like in the kingdom. For our own hearts and lives this morning, we, we thank you that in our repentance we are met with grace. And it's because of your grace we even turn toward you because you're too good to turn away from. In the areas that you are refining and shaping and transforming in our hearts, I, I pray that we would welcome that work. And I pray that as we look outward that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters, whether it's this local church or those that serve in all these different realms of life, that you would strengthen them in the Spirit. And for those who don't trust in you, I pray you'd, you'd bring about a humble repentance, that you would raise up Christ-like servant leaders who would glorify you and worship you well in whatever fields that you've placed them into. You are more than able. And we trust you. And we serve you. And thank you for first serving us, for laying down your life to make it all possible. We pray this in your name. Amen. Paul writes this in Philippians 2, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, 
taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This week, you will have a multitude of opportunities to live for his name alone and not yours, and I will have the same multitude of opportunities to live for Jesus and not my name either. So may we bring glory to the Lord in how we do that.